What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, the MFCEO.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. can't expect that everyone is as passionate about racing as we are. We can't expect that everyone is able to hear the silent call of the sea at 5am. Not everyone possesses the ability to smell the difference between rich and lean. nor the ear to differentiate the bark of two cylinders from four. It would not be fair of us to assume that the world understands the yearning and overwhelming compulsion that we have to push through pain, angst, frustration and failure. Some people might not understand the desire to test physical limits, conquer fear, or to tangle with the forces of gravity and physics. But we don't make product for them. Look to the future, but embrace our past. We study, we analyze, we race on Sunday so we can innovate on Monday. We exercise trial and error religiously. through our commitment to the pursuit of perfection. We learn. How to make products for the people that are capable of dedicating everything to sport. Whether there is a championship involved or not. Alpine stars, one goal, one vision.
Bono here from Grundahl. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian McGee is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallon. Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Brand, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing and FMF Racing. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got none other than James Coy. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing good, doing good. So uh, I, I call you up for many a reasons, mainly because you are uh, a current engine builder who knows a, a lot about making horsepower, but also because, uh, honestly, James, as, as a, a young kid growing up, uh, absolutely stuck to the uh, the motocross videos that I'd watch and stuff like that. For whatever reason, the uh, the the Great Outdoors series seemed to, uh, to, to just gravitate towards you, and uh, and you had a ton of great sound bites uh, in, in that time, and and that's why I think a lot of people still remember your work. Yeah, that's funny. I just uh, you know a lot of it was obviously mostly about Jessamine, but I was there for that, and uh, and for sure it was fun doing all that. That you know, and, and having to remember you had a mic on all the time as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like, before we kind of spin the clocks back and talk about uh, uh, about yesteryear, what are you up to nowadays? Uh, what do you What do you stay busy with, and uh, um, and and how are you making horsepower with these uh, uh, fuel injected four strokes uh, that are a whole lot different than the two strokes you probably worked on when you first got started? Well, uh, you know, I leave the horsepower thing up to Mitch Payton and the guys over at Pro Circuit. But uh, what I'm doing these days is I oversee their amateur program. And uh, I kind of got a small little uh, parts and accessory business. I sell stuff on the side. And, uh, you know, my son's racing these days, so I spend a lot of time with him as well. Fair enough. So uh, as, as a moto dad now, you, 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 you've seen all kinds. Uh, what's your approach to, uh, to your son uh, um, uh, increasing that sense of mastery and uh, ultimately going faster and faster every time he gets on the bike? Oh, that, that's the challenge in it all. It's uh, because it's your own son, you, you, um, I think there's a little bit more invested. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's different. You know, you know the time you put in, you know the money you've invested and I think you treat them a little different than maybe some of the riders that I worked with in the past. But uh, it's um, it's just as fun. But I think it I think in a, in a way it actually means a little more. And you find yourself maybe not being the person you want to be in every moment. But but at the same time, at the end of the day, you enjoy it a little bit more. For sure. How how old is your son? What's he riding nowadays? He's uh he just turned ten and he rides a Husky sixty five. He's been racing for a couple of years now and um. You know, he's getting, he's getting to be pretty good. We spent a lot of time working on sections and, and just, uh, just things that maybe I've learned from some of the guys that I've worked with in the past, you know, like focusing on your weaknesses, focusing on the things that are important. So we spend a lot of time doing that and, and, uh, he's, he seems to be getting the hang of it. He seems to enjoy it. 
For sure. Yeah. As any athlete knows, you got to work on things that you're not good at. Uh, anyone can work on their strength and make those strengths even stronger. But uh, it takes a real discipline to work on the things that you're you're not particularly good at, whether that be flat corners, whether that be standing on the on your toes more often, or uh, just general technique things. Um, the more you're able to focus on the things that you're not so good at, you become more well-rounded. And I think that's how uh, uh, the, the moto wins start to stack up. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, if we're up to him, he'd spend his time, you know, hitting jumps and, and doing tricks and stuff. But we try to mix it up a little bit. We, you know, he does that. And then, like I said, we'll work on ruts or, like you said, standing up, coming in the corners, just things that, I, you know, you, you've seen the other guys do in the past. And you try to, you try to remember to focus on those things because it's easy to get distracted and, and forget. No kidding. So, like, what, what, what about you? What is your uh, uh, introduction to motocross? Come into all of this as far as uh, as an enthusiast of the sport, most likely a participant. Where did it all start for you? Oh man, my story is a weird one. I um, I actually grew up back east in New York, upstate New York, and uh, I was a racer. I was uh, I was that privateer guy in the van, you know, trying to trying to do all sorts of things that maybe I wasn't ready to do or looking back on it, I, I shouldn't have tried to do, but uh, I, I was out trying to qualify for supercrosses and, you know, upstate New York, you don't really ride from November to March because of the weather. And, you know, not me, I would go buy some bikes and, and, and have the suspension done without really ever riding and then head down to Florida and try to qualify for Orlando or something, <laughs> which okay. uh, in doing that, I actually met uh, Cherie Gosler in the airport, uh, it was just the weirdest thing. I had a Honda jacket on and we started talking. And then there was the introduction of her husband, Mike Gosler, who was Steve Lampson's mechanic at the time. And then a friendship, um, after that. And, and, um, they would kind of like help me out with a little bit of advice and maybe some parts that came off Lampson's bike to keep me going. And then, um, their son, Chris turned pro and there was the FMF Honda team and he needed a mechanic. And I somehow ended up in that, uh, back in 99, the, the beginning of 99. And, and that's kind of how I got in. I just, uh, it, it's kind of like one of those chance meeting things, you know, that should never really have happened, but it did. And then it was all about who you know. For sure. Uh, I think there's, uh, there's, there's, for as, about as many jobs as there, as there are within the motocross industry, there seems to be a story like that. Um, and, and honestly, to meet a guy like, uh, Mike Gossler for, for, who at the time was for all intents and purposes, uh, Jesus with a T handle, uh, getting that, uh, that CR125 all kinds of tricked out for, uh, for Steve Lampson. Uh, that was a, a tough, um, tough combo to beat. Um, like, were you on, uh, the, the steel framed, uh, Honda at the time or were you still on? Uh, yeah. Did you, yeah, yeah, I you believe that was, yeah, that was, that was the 125. I believe that was like in 93 or okay. somewhere in there. And then, um, you know, and, and Mike was awesome. That team back then was like the like just the coolest guys ever. There was uh, Pete Steinbrecher, you know, Skip Norfolk was on the team. I think, you know, Dave Arnold had just left, but he was around, and Wes McCoy. I just had the best time getting to know those guys. You know, somebody from New York, when, you know, it's not like here in California. Like, I think the kids out here don't understand. Like, my son, when we drive down the road, it's no big deal to drive past. You know, you'll see Tickle or or any of the riders, you know, Hanson or whoever, you'll bump into them on the road, see them at the store. And back east, it's not like that. You never see anybody in that. For me to get to know those guys and be let in on the, some of the secrets there were at the time and and, and uh, just kind of be part of all that from week in and week out, seeing them at the races was just an unreal, unreal uh, adventure for me. And I can never thank Mike Osler enough for that. 
So uh, when did the realization come to you that uh, you'd be better served uh, with a T-handle and a, uh, a pit board than, uh, than behind the controls of a, of a, of a, of a motorcycle? <laughs> That's another story that um, another guy that I really have to thank was um, uh, Ziggy over at Factory Connection. You know, he had bought um, Factory Connection, and he used to do my suspension. You know, he was a Northeast guy up there in New England, and, um, of course, he was a factory Honda mechanic before that. And I remember kind of pretty much just being out of money and, and trying, you know, I think I have the record, honestly, for trying to qualify for nationals and supercrosses and not making it. I think um, if you looked in the record books, I'd be like the least successful person ever. But um, I remember Ziggy one day, I called him about some suspension, you know, to get it done. And, and he had this just this talk with me out of the blue about, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't your thing. And and it kind of stuck with me because after that, I kind of started thinking about it. You know, maybe this isn't my thing. You know, like I'm here, I'm spending all this money. Credit cards are maxed out, and I'm certainly not. Uh, I'm certainly not getting anything out of it except just a lot of frustration. And uh, and that's that was the beginning of it for me. And then I think, um, you know, around around '98, you know, when I had pretty much given up. You know, when the opportunity came, you know, at the end of '98 to come out to California, and it kind of, I guess, I just transitioned into that. And, um, it, it, you know, maybe it was meant to be, but that, that's how it happened. No doubt. And then obviously working with, uh, with Chris Gosser, who was a, an up and comer and a, and a guy that, uh, had a lot of skill in his own right, um, both on the, on the two strokes and the four strokes, uh, having a, a unbelievable, most people would totally even forget that he had one of the most amazing nights at the, uh, at the U.S. Open. I believe that was in 2003. And, uh, shortly after that, the whole thing kind of fell apart for him, uh, with some injuries and losing the ride at Factory Connection. Um, but, uh, prior to that season, everyone was like, look out, here comes Chris Gossler. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't, I was friends with them, but not really aware of the amateur thing back then. And, uh, he was, he was, he was a bad, he was, he was awesome on a motorcycle. And I bet he still is today. If he chose to ride it, just sometimes things don't work out, you know, the way you have planned and that, and that's, I think that's not just motocross, but any sport. And like you said, there were some injuries, maybe, um, you know, some unexpected setbacks and, uh, and, and for sure he didn't, he didn't turn out, you know, to achieve probably all the goals that he had, but, you know, for sure back in the day, he was the guy. I remember him and Justin Buckley were the big thing coming out of the amateurs back then. Absolutely. No, those guys are, uh, those guys were both very highly touted. So, uh, you're, you're spinning the wrenches for, uh, for FMF Honda. Who are the, uh, your, your teammates of mechanics wise as far as who's, uh, you're sharing the awning with, uh, on, on race weekends? Not quite a, the, the box van days, so to speak, but a, a, a full sized rig and, uh, um, uh, honestly, a, a pretty, uh, although maybe the Hondas weren't as fast as they needed to be, uh, a pretty solid effort uh, from FMF's uh, standpoint. Well, the, uh, Dean Gibson, who I, I believe is still at Factory Honda today, and Mike Williamson, obviously, uh, you know, just a great mechanic over at Factory Cowie. And then um, Tom, uh, uh, Tom, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name here, but he, over, he works over at Factory Connection now, so all of them still in the industry. And, uh I stayed there basically. I was only there for a few months because Chris ended up getting hurt um, at Press State Anaheim, and unfortunately, and then there kind of there wasn't really a lot for me to do. So Mitch Payton had an, an opening to work for Scott Sheik on his team, and then I moved over there in like February, and uh, that's really for me where all the learning began. There wasn't much um, 
you know, on the, on the FMF Honda team, I don't think, you know, certainly not, not criticizing in any way, shape or form, but there wasn't a lot of guidance over there. It was kind of more of a, you know, kind of more of just a, a thing that was happening where I, when I moved over to Mitch's team, there was so much instruction and so much discipline about this is how we want this done. This is what we're going to do. This is the plan for testing. This is the plan for race day. And, and that's really, you know, Jim Perry was over there at the time. He's, he's now a factor Yamaha. And between Jim Perry, uh, Bones and Mitch, it, it was just so much learning. Like the learning curve was just unreal. Like, um, you know, how they wanted this massage, how they wanted that put together, how they wanted to do this on race day. And, uh, that's really for me where the learning began. And, and, and I've been, been, you know, associated at pro, with Pro Circuit ever since. Yeah, absolutely. You have been. Almost synonymous, some might say, um, and, and doing some great work with those guys. Is that uh, kind of where you found your your discipline to uh, to find those uh, attention to detail and, and to kind of do your best work uh, as you became um, like getting bigger and bigger mechanics uh, jobs uh, within the industry? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because over, over at Pro Circuit, you know, like I, you know, I talked about Mitch and Jimmy Perry, but there was also, um, Bundy, you know, John Mitchell, who was always Nathan Ramsey's mechanic. And, uh, he, um, he was adamant about not just being a parts changer. You know, it, it was always, you know, you, you're not a parts changer. You got to learn to read the parts. You know, that was his big thing. And I know it sounds funny, but it's true. Like every week when you split your motor, you know, you're paying attention to how this is wearing or, you know, the marks on that and, can you get another race out of it? When's it going to, you know, when's it going to be time to change that stuff out? And, and that was like the biggest thing I learned. It's not all about just because of the factory bike, you just dump new bearings and parts in it every week. You know, it was all about kind of massaging it, making it last, like kind of really paying attention to what's going on with it. And that, that came from Bundy, you know, he, uh, he was adamant about that. And, 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 and again, that, you know, that, that was something you don't really see anywhere else. Like even in my days at factory Suzuki, you know, there wasn't that, you know, it was kind of more, that was all learned at Pro Surgate. Well, there you go. And, and obviously there, there's been a, a ton of great mechanics come out of, uh, out of uh, that facility and, uh, and a lot of guys who have also stayed over the years. Um, uh, what would you say was the, the biggest thing you learned, uh, under, under the tutelage of, of those individuals, obviously you being one of the newer people there? Uh, I kind of learned a lot, you know, it's, uh, I think it was just that it was like how it was like how to build stuff, like how to really build a race bike. You know, I, I know that sounds silly to people who don't really understand, you know, and I remember early on I had heard, um, you know, one of the mechanics talk about, you know, their bike was like a form of art to them. They were, you know, building this thing. And I kind of remember snickering like that's just silly, but, but it kind of is true. You know, your race bike as a mechanic, at least back when I was in it, doing it, building the race bikes, it was, that was your pride and joy. Like every week you built it a little better. You know, you, you know, you built it initially the first time, but every week you built it, you rebuilt it. It felt like it got better and better. And that's, uh, that, that it was all about what you learned about building that race bike. You know, I, I didn't learn a whole lot. I wasn't interested in, you know, port heights and trying to make it go faster, give it more bottom. You know, obviously I knew, you know, I had a, some background on that, you know, this cylinder does that and this is why, but my, my interest was dealing with the rider, you know, like working with the rider to achieve something and then also building the best possible bike I could every week. Hey everyone, let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly. Then we'll be right back to the podcast. Thanks for listening. 
FlyRacing.com is the home of quality and innovation. The design team at Fly tirelessly rebuild and retool premium lines like the Evolution 2.0 and Light Hydrogen with features like zipper lock to prevent closure failures and EVO's BOA technology, which ensures the perfect fit. Complete your protective gear combo head-to-toe with Fly Racing F2 Carbon MIPS Retrospect and Fly's entry into the premium boot segment with their sector. All products and colorways are available at FlyRacing.com. In motorsports, the action pulls us in, and often we never get close enough to the exhilaration and athletes that amaze us. Although trackside seats are available, nothing gets you closer to motocross and supercross action than the collective experience. Dave Drake's has created an exclusive opportunity to get you closer to the sport you love so much. If you want an all-access experience with Adam or Tyler Entiknap, Henry Miller, John Ames, or even the cat, AJ Catanzaro, you need to check out the collective experience today. TheCollectiveXP.com, as well as the collective ex on instagram is where you can find the collective experience do so immediately the collective experience nobody gets you closer what's wrong jeff i don't know jay well you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran oats and bran i didn't think there was such a that's what i used to think now i start out every morning with a bowl of amigos for extreme kids like us That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, Big MX listeners, it's time for another commercial break. Please listen carefully to these, and we'll be right back to the show. Thanks. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now, and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples, and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, talon and kite aluminum hubs, galfer and Brembo brakes and spokes that take a lickin' and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did, and head to dubyausa.com today. WUSA. All things wheels. Hey, Big MX fans. Thanks for listening to this podcast and hope you're enjoying it. I want you guys to head on over to TractionMX.com. TractionMX is the place to get your seat covers for any bike that you have, whether it be a Husqvarna, 
Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, KTM, you name it. These guys have a great seat cover for you. They're durable, they're flashy, they're eye-catching, and they're one of a kind. The reason why they're one of a kind is because you design your own. You pick the fabrics, you pick the ribs, you pick the everything all the way down to the stitching uh, color that they use on the seat cover itself. Traction MX is your one-stop shop to set your bike apart from the herd 110%. These seat covers start at just $69.95 American, and uh, the average turnaround is a one to two weeks. One to two weeks from now, you could have a bike that's looking completely different than it does right now. So head on over to TractionMX.com, start shopping, start designing, and make something special like for you today. Going viral with Viral Brand. Viral Brand is setting its sights on being one of the leading brands in the extreme sports market. From supercross to snowcross and snowboarding, and everything in between. Viral Brand is working hard to not only bring you premium products, quality eyewear, and killer style, but award-winning support with every sport. Head on over to theviralbrand.com and get tinted lenses clear lenses, 10-pack of tear-offs, and goggle bag for only $59.99. Viral brand products are available in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, and used exclusively by the Barn Pros Racing MX Home Depot Yamaha team for the 2017 season. Go viral with the Viral brand. For sure, you use those tools to your advantage, but uh, also maximizing the the mental side of things. I think that's one of the things that really stuck out uh, of from, from all, all the time that we ever saw you interacting with your riders is that you seem to really have a, a, a positive connection with these guys and the ability to kind of pull something extra special out of them, uh, almost like a, a motocross therapist, if you will. Um, was that kind of part of the job as well? I think that's just my, my personality. You know, there's times when you had to choose between you know, like supporting the team or supporting your rider. You know, I always backed my rider up. You know, I always gave him the benefit of the doubt. I always, I always did everything I could to, to help him along. You know, I'm kind of the type of person where I don't, you know, even today, I don't, I don't beat people down. I'm not interested in making people look bad. I, I'm more about building people up. So I think and that's how I approached it, dealing with, my riders, you know, some riders needed it more than others. Like obviously when I was working with Pastrana there, you couldn't do anything to hurt that guy mentally anyway, but you know, with Jessamine, it was, it was more about, you know, stay positive and, and uh, you know, look at the, look at the positive things. We're close in lap times, you know, you're going to last the motor strong stuff like that. So excluding uh, Jessman, who I, I would know your relationship with him better than, than I know any of the other riders that you worked with, uh, who would you say that you uh, had the best connection with or a guy that uh, you were able to go, through, go, go, go to bat for him on a regular basis and, uh, and really create that, that positive relationship that uh, you, you were able to share? Uh, it would it would have been Jessman. I worked with him the longest. You know, I felt like he was the one I connected with the most because I felt like he was like, we, you know, you, I just worked with him for so long that, you know, it was easy to have that connection. You know, obviously, um, you know, the other riders I've worked with, you know, Scott Sheik, he lasted, you know, he, that was the year I was working with him is the year that he, um, hit his head on the tree at Southwick, which was disappointing because I actually grew up racing against Scotty in district 34. So he and I were friends, but not, right. we never had time to develop that, that, you know, I worked with Billy Payne after that and, 
he was just a just an unbelievable personality. I, to this day, I haven't talked to him in years, but I love that guy. You know, he would sit on the line like when he was supposed to be nervous. You know, he's reciting he's reciting lines from movies like Liar Liar and Dumb and Dumber. You know, like <laughs> like times when you would think that he would be you know quiet and nervous. He was just had this amazing uh, attitude towards racing. And then you know, Jessamine, he was the quiet one, the introvert you know, the one that was most serious, you know, he would stay at my house and he would weigh his food to make sure that he was eating the proper amount of calories. And, you know, he would work out a very disciplined workout session every day. You know, there was no deviating from what was right. So, but he was also uh, a strong introvert. You know, like, so you had to talk to him. You had to like go out of your way kind of to, to get through to him, to get him to talk about what he needed. And, um, you know, once we broke through that, I felt like the relationship was awesome. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. No kidding. Like uh, the the guy really seemed to uh, to have it like to have most things all dialed in. The only thing he couldn't quite figure out is how to go faster than the guy on the green bike uh, number two fifty nine. I don't think anyone could figure that out uh, back in those days. Yeah. But uh, and honestly, that's just like um, in a case like that. Um, at, at what point do you kind of throw your hands up and say that there is no amount of preparation that you can have to beat that package? That guy just stays on the throttle that much longer. We never, that, that's the thing that was so great about that, you know, especially working with Roger and Ian back then, you know, and I'm sure they're like that to this day still. There, there was never that moment where you threw your hands up. You know, we had, we had issues, um, at, you know, on the 125s that year, we had works carburetors that were, that were, um, uh, you know, our works carburetors we had were uh, putting out a lot of power, you know, helping the bike, but at the same time they were creating a bog and it took a lot of time to figure out what it was and, you know, there were three motos, one at um, Unadillo, one at uh, Millville, and I forget where the other one was, maybe Washougal, where I felt like we could have got James. Like, like maybe, you know, it wasn't consistently we weren't going to get him, but there were three motos where I felt like we had him. Like, that could have been our, our our day, you know, and, uh, you know, but with bike issues. And, and by the time we got that sorted out, it was so late in the year. And, you know, but but we never threw our hands up. That, that was the fun thing, you know, you – you know, in that moment and doing that, you know, before you're a father, before you're married with all these other priorities, like living that life, like that's all that matters. And you just go to work every day with that, with that enthusiasm. Now, so, and that's encouraging to hear because honestly, that, that was a, uh, a cause that, uh, there, uh, it really did seem like there wasn't too much doing to, to, to top that guys. So it's good to know that you guys, uh, didn't give up at any moment, but, um, the, the, the 2000, one through 2004 uh, RM125, notoriously difficult to jet, notoriously badly jetted from stock. What were some of the things that you guys did to make that thing sing? Um, obviously, uh, like the, a works carburetor, completely different than something that uh, would have been come uh, on uh, standard production. But uh, if you could, uh, I don't know how much you're allowed to say, but uh, if you could kind of give us some insight uh, to tuning in that particular machine to be as potent as it was. Uh, for us, it was really just the chassis, the biggest, the biggest thing, you know, from 2003, when they changed the uh, frame to use a different linkage system to 2004, you know, with that new linkage system, the bike, it made a huge difference with the bike, but the motors, our, our motors were so good back then. And, uh, I remember being really, really, really bummed in, um, 2004 because we, our package was so strong, but that was the year that we had to not only go to unleaded fuel, which took away about a horsepower, but um, we also had, you know, the four-strokes were coming into play. And then, you know, in the four-stroke thing back then, Suzuki was at such a disadvantage because it was really like a Kawasaki 
we didn't have the chassis parts that the Cowie guys did. You know, we, we barely even had air filters for those bikes, you know, that Hepler was riding. And, um, I think, uh, Hepler and forget who else is on the team, but we, we, we were at such a disadvantage, but yet the guys wanted to ride the four stroke. So to give up the 125s on, in 2004, they were so fast and so good that that was, that was disappointing, but our, our bikes were good. You know, our factory cylinders, you know, like I said, the factory parts we had, they were really fast. So we didn't really have issues jetting them as much as we just had issues with a, you know, like the, like I told you with the bog there every once in a while. Absolutely. And obviously this is a, a time period totally different than now. EFI guys roll up and, and things are, uh, they, they, they plug the bike in and they figure out what it needs to be, it needs to do to, to, to perform best on the day. Um, like going to places like, I guess like at the time you guys were going to Thunder Valley, but, uh, going up into Washougal, different places with different, uh, altitudes. What were kind of, uh, the, the, the usual, uh, routines as to how, how you would go and, uh, and tune in one of those bikes? on race morning or uh, when you really needed to do some testing it, it was so we were always so close from track to track we you know it was maybe a needle change in the carburetor or a clip position but it wasn't really ever major changes like everybody thinks like once you got the setting at least back on those 125s you know you had the setting it was very little changing you didn't you very you didn't deviate really much from what you had just a little bit here and there maybe you know because of humidity or a little bit of out you know altitude you'd make a small change but it it was it was actually easy you know you had roger and ian there who are just so unbelievable you know to work with in that sense that it almost made it too easy like there was never any second guessing anything for sure, and, and um, yeah, you mentioned it. It seemed like it was uh, a little bit disappointing to go from a, a lights out uh, platform that was the two thousand and four uh, one twenty five two stroke. The thing was like super potent. Davy Millsaps on uh, riding in Supercross, he looked fast. Um, but uh, outdoors, the bike looked sluggish. Um, I, I don't like you said the chassis wasn't what it needed to be. Um, and, and yeah, like a steel frame carbureted four stroke, uh, against, uh, well, the, for the, for the most part, like, I get like the Honda was awesome. Kawasaki, I guess had that bike better figured out than you guys did. Um, you guys were pretty in tough with that bike. Yeah, it, it was challenging. I mean, right straight away. I mean, it just as a production bike, like it comes off, you know, you get it and there's, a, there's, you know, if I remember correctly, there was overheating issues straight away. Like every time the guy stopped, pulled in to tell you something that you, they had to shut the bike off. Like there, there was just all these things, but that was, it was new back then. It was new technology, if you will. I mean, obviously road racing had those by, you know, the four stroke motors and it wasn't new to the world, but to the motocross industry, it was kind of new and especially to, you know, Suzuki back then. So there was some issues and, and, um, you know, that, that again is Roger and Ian right there. They pushed so hard because I remember when they first introduced that bike to us at the factory Suzuki race shop, uh, the Japanese guys told us to run it stock. Like, don't even modify it. And, and I remember Ian just being like, just so like appalled by that they would even tell us that. And, and that was all Ian and Roger figuring out how to make the thing run and get more power out of it. However, also, you know, solve the problems with, you know, overheating and, and, and the little issues, the little things that were going on with the bike, not to mention making chassis parts that would make it more competitive to catch up with the Cowie guys. So, um, as far as, as your career as a, as a full, uh, race day mechanic, um, where, where did you kind of move on from uh, after working with Brandon and, and, uh, so, and, and why eventually, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I, I didn't let you finish. 
No, I, like, like uh, at what point did you decide uh, to no longer continue pursuing uh, a professional mechanic position? Well, about that time, 2004, I got married. You know, I got married in 2003, and then, um, you know, we had my daughter in 2004. So, you know, ultimately that starts to to kind of weigh on you a little bit. You know, maybe not, not weigh on you isn't the right word, but you're aware that you're leaving pretty much every weekend or you're spending every night at the shop late and, and, um, you know, and then, so 2004 went by and Jessamine was, you know, he went on his way. He left Suzuki and I didn't want to leave Suzuki. I love, I loved every minute at Suzuki with those guys. And, um, so, you know, he went on and did his thing. And then I had the opportunity to work for Travis on, you know, basically being Travis Pastrana's mechanic, but his bikes were built in the race shop because they were factory bikes. But then we worked out of his truck on the road and that, again, was just an amazing experience for me, you know, talking about being in the right place at the right time because Travis is just unreal. Um, he's exactly like he is in person as he is like on the videos. So he just, just has this way of motivating you to be better. And um, so I got to do that, but he got hurt. And then um, I ended up working uh, in-house at Factory Suzuki with Tedesco in 06. So I worked with Tony Baluti, who was his mechanic, who, who Tony's just a great friend of mine still to this day. And, uh, you know, we worked on, on Tedesco's stuff when he was riding the 450. And then um, in 2007, I just decided that I had had enough. You know, I, I didn't have that enthusiasm like I talked about earlier. Like every day you wanted to go to work and be great. Now all of a sudden I was kind of letting little things bother me and, you know, things that about maybe Suzuki or about the job. And then I realized that the job didn't change, Suzuki didn't change, I changed. And that's when I knew it was time to maybe move on. Fair enough. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Then, then that's that's justified. If, if you if if you don't quite have the the same passion for it that you once did, or that you don't the 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 value uh, in doing that work isn't the same as it once was, uh, and now you've got a value in having a family and and uh, and raising children. Then uh, yeah, you, you, like um, a, a guy like uh, Berluti, the guy's uh, I think he's he's taken up the wrenches again this year. But then again, he doesn't have <laughs> uh, doesn't have children to look after. But uh, yeah, like, honestly. Honestly, your your career as a as a mechanic was one where I think the attention to detail was uh, uh, as high as anybody else's. Man, you did a great job. Yeah, I, I, that's what I loved about it, and I and I and I appreciate the fact that I got to be in the industry, you know, on that level, doing that when I was there. So to me, I, to me, I'm proud of what I did. For sure. Now, uh, so, uh, like you said, your, your role, uh, with, uh, with, with Pro Circuit is the amateur program. Is that, like, is that Pro Circuit specifically? Is that, uh, is that, like, uh, Team Green Kawasaki? Uh, explain that to us a little bit. Well, my role is specifically with Pro Circuit, which, which, uh, you know, I, I have a love for Pro Circuit, you know, I, and I, I explained that earlier. You know, I just, um, I feel like those guys are family to me, and, um, so when I when I decided to stop wrenching, you know, I, I basically would, you know, go down to Pro Circuit all the time. Like I'd have friends from back east send stuff in or whatever, and I'd go down there. And, and just being down there and part of it, they had a need for some help. So I, uh, I, I ended up, you know, running their amateur program for a while. And then, um, you know, I, I, I've just been, I've been kind of with them kind of ever since. It's just uh, right now what I do is I oversee their amateur program. Not, I don't work for Cowie. Um, it's, it's primarily pro surrogate. Fair enough. So, uh, like, so, so that, that being said, anyone listening to this, if they, if they want to, uh, if, if they want to get an inside track at, at getting sponsored by uh pro circuit, don't, don't bother trying to call up the guy in the chair. Just go straight to James Coy. 
Yeah, <laughs> on the amateur side, you know, we, you know, Mitch doesn't. Mitch is so busy. I, I can't imagine that guy. What his day is like? He's constantly on the phone. He's constantly got people stopping in to talk to him, and um, and, and for sure you're not going to get his attention. You know, probably not anyway. But uh, if you got, you know, anybody who needs some pro surgeon wants to help, you know, more than people really think we do. And and if there was ever anybody out there that needed anything, I'd love to help them out. For sure, I, and I, I, I will admit, honestly, there there is a bit of a stigma around uh, Pro Circuit that they're not really the warmest uh, of companies. Honestly, it's just the fact that uh, they are like they're they're so regarded in in creating horsepower, and and, and they do make a, a amazing product. Um, the I find the 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 brand is a little bit tough to uh, kind of warm up to as far as uh, having that relationship where you feel like you can uh, uh, can can. Uh, interact with it, but uh, if 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 what you say is true, then people should definitely reach out to not only yourself, but reach out to Pro Circuit and uh, and try to uh, engage with you guys. Yeah, that that's the biggest thing. The thing I don't think everybody understands, and I certainly didn't understand it. You know, living back east, Pro Circuit is a small company. Like they, it, it is unreal the uh, how much they do with how small they really are as far as you know, the amount of people they have there. You know, they have the same exact people, you know, the three guys in suspension that build their race team stuff are the same guys that do the customer stuff. And it's the same thing with the service department. And, you know, you'll see Mitch back there grinding cylinders for customers, you know, just, just as much as you'll see him doing his own race team stuff. And I think people think that they're so big that there's this special department that they can come and talk to and visit and they're going to get all this attention. And it's not like that. It's just, it's just so it's, there's just not enough time in the day to accommodate everybody. And Mitch's attitude towards amateur racing is he wants to help people, but he doesn't, you know, he wants to help people along. He doesn't want to, you know, pay for people's amateur racing at this level. He believes that the work needs to be done. You know, the hard work needs to be done by the families and the riders. And then as you get better, the, you know, there's more, you know, you, you work your way up the ladder. And I think people get frustrated with that because they assume that there's all these money and all this product at Pro Circuit that, that we should just be handing it out. And Mitch, Mitch doesn't believe in that. He believes in helping people along, giving them a, you know, that carrot to chase to get better and better. And, um, and, and, and it's because of that misunderstanding. I think people get frustrated, but really it's a, you know, everybody in the building's a great, you know, it's got a great personality, Mitch included. He's just very busy. For sure, absolutely. And the guy's got uh, got more than a few riders to to attend to at the the the, uh, the amateur level, the pro level, and uh, also a family to attend to. So he's he's got more than a few uh, uh, irons in the fire. Um, what's what's on the horizon for for James Coy? What what do you what do you see yourself doing in the near future? And uh, I gotta ask, since you were a a, a a less than successful professional motocross racer, uh, do you ever plan to go back to the ranch? Maybe one day. Uh, do Loretta's or uh, World Vet National Championships and knock down a, 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 a championship of your own? <laughs> no, I, I don't see me ever, you know, riding like that again. I just, uh, I don't know. I just don't feel it. It took a long time. Like, even when I was a mechanic, it took a long time to get past the fact that I wasn't racing anymore. I, you know, I'll, you know, sadly, I'll admit in the beginning, like building Scott Sheik's bikes or Billy Payne's bikes, I felt like I should be, you know, riding still. And, and then that's finally gone away and I'm at peace with it. I like the fact that I don't really have the urge to ride. And, you know, a lot of that might be because I don't want to do air filters and change tires, but it's, uh, 
you know, for me, I just, I just want to keep doing and doing. I really like where I'm at in my life. You know, I, I love the family life that I had, you know, I know that sounds corny to a lot of people, but I, I love going to the track with my son. I like the, uh, the parents I've met at the track, you know, my son, he's made friends in the 65 class here in Southern California. And I enjoy the people I bump into. I enjoy the people that, that call me on the phone and, and, uh, I like what I do. So I don't really see any big changes coming up. I, I just, uh, just trying to, you know, sometimes find more time in the day, but I like where I'm at. Awesome. Now, uh, so, um, a, a quick question for you before I let you go, my friend, what were some of the trickiest parts that you saw come across your, uh, your desk or your workspace, uh, at, at factory Suzuki? Uh, we had so much cool stuff, uh, especially for Ricky Carmichael on that, um, on the four stroke, you know, when he was racing that four stroke, you know, you, there's, there's obviously rules. There's, there's limits in what you can do. And, um, you know, working with Roger DeCosta on ways, you know, to stay legal, um, and make chassis modifications, you know, the special parts that came from Japan, you know, with triple clamps and, and, and just things that I couldn't really describe. You know, I know there's no factory Suzuki team right now, so I don't think I, it's an issue, but it would just take so long to describe the stuff. But, you know, Roger, the way he, the way he, you know, would modify things to keep it legal. And then the parts, the special parts that Suzuki made for the chassis were just unreal to see and, and the thought process behind them all. Well, there you go, man. Like, I, I think you, I, like you said, uh, before we started the podcast, you really existed as a mechanic in one of the coolest eras. The, the infancy of two strokes, the absolute pinnacle of, uh, or the, the infancy of four strokes, the, the, and the pinnacle of four, uh, two strokes, rather. I'm getting all mixed up here. Um, but, uh, and, and you did, you did well to prepare both for battle. And, uh, I think you should be proud about that. Well, I appreciate that. And I agree with you. I, I like I said before, I, I love the period in which I was in the sport and I absolutely love the people that I dealt with, you know, in the sport at the, you know, so uh, I have nothing but, you know, great memories and, and thanks to all the people who actually helped me. Awesome, man. Well, uh, where, where can people, uh, uh, kind of keep track of you nowadays, whether it be on, uh, on, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, where, where are you most active and how can people follow along? And also, uh, you've got that, uh, a small business as well. Yeah. I, um, sadly, I don't, I don't do much with social media. I, I have an Instagram that I made a few years ago. I, I just don't, it's just not my thing. You know, I know my kids love it, but, um, for me, it's just, uh, you know, if everybody, if everybody wanted to get in touch with me, you know, the, my email at pro circuit is uh jcoy at pro com, And my business is global pro MX. You know, I, I just a small little parts and accessory thing like mail order thing. And, uh, you know, it's, if they ever wanted to reach me there, it's James at global pro MX. And, um, you know, I, I'd be happy. Like I, like I said, I enjoy talking to people for sure. And, and, uh, that's the best way to get up with me. There you go, James. Well, I really enjoyed speaking with you today, uh, having you on the podcast to uh, to dive into your career a little bit and, and bring my, my listeners a little bit closer to a guy that I know that uh, um, if, if they followed motocross for the, in, in the years that I've followed it, uh, they would know the name and they would, uh, they would definitely want to know more about you. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us that opportunity. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. It's, it was uh, great to bring back these memories and talk to you guys. Great, man. Well, don't hang up just yet, just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. All right. Sounds good.